If you will, join with me in standing as we share in the reading of God's Word this morning. We're going to read together uh, Revelation 1, verse 7 and 8, and then um, I'm going to read an additional brief passage from the book of Acts, the first chapter, verses uh, 9, 10, and 11. Let's read together. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him including those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. This is so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and was and is coming, the Almighty. From Acts chapter 1, after Jesus said these things, this is after the resurrection, Jesus is with the disciples, As they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going away, and as they were staring toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood next to them. They said, Galileans, why are you standing here looking toward heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Please be seated. There is an outline this morning provided for you as we look at God's word together. I tell you, it's been a fascinating last couple of days as we've watched uh, Pope Francis make his way to the United States. I mean, just... Watching it on television, it's just been amazing to see the depth of work that had gone into his visit. And right now, I understand over a million people are in Philadelphia for a grand public mass. You know, the the people in New York and Washington and Philadelphia have said that uh, the Pope's visit has been, without question, the most challenging, complex security uh, setup that they have ever experienced, and I imagine it's so. You know, watching the events the past few days, now I understand why Scripture says that the Lord's coming will not be announced in advance. I mean, you imagine, if we do that for the Pope, can you imagine the, the preparation that would go in for the coming of Jesus himself? It's a night I will always remember. April the 8th, 1974. I'm in the upper level. Atlanta, Fulton County Stadium. Aisle 328. Row 12. Seat 113. I was there to witness for myself when Hank Aaron surpassed Babe Ruth and hit number 715 to become the home run king of all time. And i got to tell you, being there that night, seeing it firsthand was was exciting beyond description. And I will never forget that night. Somebody after the early service came up and said, we were there too. It was great, wasn't it? I'll never forget. But you know, there's something else I'll never forget about that night, and, and I thought, had this thought within minutes of Hank Aaron hitting that home run. My thought was, 
I wonder about those people right now in the stadium who are in the restroom. What about those people who are standing in line to buy a hot dog and they missed it? You know, I thought many, many times through the years, if I had been in the restroom or if I had been in line to buy some food that night when Hank Aaron hit the home run, I would be kicking myself for the rest of my life. But I was there, but I missed it. Fortunately, I didn't. The Bible tells us that something really important and historic is going to happen one day. Christ is coming back. And the world as we know it is going to cease, and with Christ's return, it is going to be a glorious, amazing day. Imagine missing it because you are standing in some line too busy pursuing something you thought was more important. How horrible would that be? We're spending four Sundays together talking about end times. The Bible is an incredible book. It's God's Word. It begins with telling us about God's creation, about God's design for human life. It talks about the covenant that God establishes with Israel. It talks about the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We find the Gospels. We find in the book of Acts the history of the origins of the early church. And the Bible also concludes with giving us information about how all this is going to come to an end. Now, through the years, people we speculate about when the end is going to come. People set dates. And when those dates come and go and nothing happens, we just kind of dismiss all this end times talk. And we put it way, way back there in that realm of things that not really that important. That's understandable, but it's also very unfortunate. Because you see, though we don't know the time, we don't know the day, what we do know, in His own words, in His own testimony. He will one day return. We should not let the uncertainty about when he returns cause us to question the certainty that he will. We shouldn't let the uncertainty about when he returns cause us to question the certainty that he will. And so we're spending four Sundays talking about what the book of Revelation and actually what all of Scripture has to say about end times. Just to recap real quick, the first Sunday we talked about the rapture. The rapture, that event in which the dead in Christ will rise. Those living at the time when Christ appears will be caught up together. That's what rapture means, caught up together together. We'll receive our resurrected bodies and we'll be transported to be with Jesus 
in heaven. I know that transcends our ability to, to understand or grasp because we've never experienced anything like that before. And it's beyond our ability to understand, but Scripture defines that's going to happen. Jesus, you recall this passage, we hear it every Christian funeral. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? I will come again, and I will take you to where I am so that where I am you may be also. The rapture. And then last Sunday we talked about what happens after the rapture, and that's the rise of the Antichrist and the seven-year period of, of the tribulation. But God is not through with this world. And there are incredible plans yet for us. And that brings us this morning to a focus on the second coming of Christ. Now, don't be confused. We've already referred at the rapture to Jesus appearing in the clouds. That's not the second coming. The second coming is a later event in which Christ will come at the end of the tribulation period and establish his kingdom. It might be helpful to think of it this way. Christ is coming back for his church. That's the rapture. Secondly, Christ is coming back with his church. That's the second coming in which, according to Revelation, Christ will come at the end of time with the believers who were raptured to reign thousand years in what's called the Millennial Kingdom. Now, here's how all this is going to play out. Now, as we've stated already, this, when it comes to apocalyptic literature, revelations, end times, there are lots of different ideas or lots of different theories. So I'm not going to stand here and say that this is a definitive word and you've got to look at it exactly like this. So what I want to do this morning, is, and in all these times together, is just to, to offer up what is most generally accepted, uh, what Revelation is seeking to say. So here's how, most likely, Revelation is meant to be understood. The tribulation, that seven-year period in which the Antichrist reigns, will end with an epic battle called Armageddon. We've heard about Armageddon. Hollywood's made many movies about it. Armageddon means Mount of Megiddo. It's a place 60 miles north of Jerusalem. You can walk there today. And I, I got to tell you, it's, it's, it's an eerie feeling walking the grounds of Armageddon, knowing what's going to happen today. Now, what I'm going to share is much, much abbreviated, but here's what will happen according to the book of Revelation. Toward the end of the tribulation, the Antichrist has turned on Israel. He's organized armies around the world, gaining forces to attack Israel. What are those armies? We find, first of all, a reference in Revelation 16, 12. By the way, we've got a lot of scriptures. We're not going to look at all of these, but if you want to follow along with these in your Bibles, that, that might be a good idea if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you have your Bibles with you. Revelation 16, 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. And that's significant. 
the kings of the east to gather them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. So Armageddon is coming together. Armies from the east. Now what are the armies of the east? Well, what nations are east of Israel? Syria, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, in other words, Arab nations. There will be a, a, a conglomeration that's a coming together of Arab nations into one big army against Israel. All right? Then, we see reference to other forces in Ezekiel 38, 1 through 5. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Set your face against Gog in the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Prophesy against him and say, I will turn you around and bring you out with your whole army and Persia, Cush and Put, will be with you. You will come from the far north, you and many nations with you. And some fascinating implications in this passage. The suggestion is that armies from the north were organized. Gog, Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Probably doesn't mean a great deal to us. It's generally believed, however, that these are tribal names of areas that represent modern-day Russia to the north. And the suggestion is that this army will join with Persia. Now, what is Persia? Up until 1935, it was called Persia, but ever since, it is called Iran. Now, this provides some fascinating projection in terms of biblical prophecy. Now, I'm not at all suggesting that all of this is accurately coming together, but it certainly gives us a lot to think about. And this is not a political commentary on or taking a position on the Iranian nuclear deal, but think about this in light of this passage. A month ago, we saw our Secretary of State, John Kerry, sitting down with the current leader, of the nation of Iran. And in that conversation, he's basically saying to him, look, here's, here's the, the nuclear deal that we've all negotiated and come together. We're dropping the sanctions. We're going to release the money. All we ask you is that you promise not to build any nuclear bombs. He leaves there, travels to Tel Aviv where he has a meeting, and we see this played out on the screen. He has a meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel. And he says to Netanyahu, this is the deal. You don't need to worry. It's all going to be fine. And Netanyahu is just a tad little anxious about it all. And then days later, I'm watching television, and, and there we see Vladimir... Putin, president of Russia, in Syria, shaking hands with one of the kings of the east, Assad, bringing with him military 
resources and troops and tanks and aircraft. And then in just the last day or two, we read about a coming together for the first time in history, a Russia and Syria and Iran establishing a military cell in Baghdad. Now this is fascinating because for the last 2,600 years, Russia and Iran have been bitter adversaries until now. When Saddam Hussein was in power in Iraq, Russia was funding that regime with the Scud missiles and financial support, but with Saddam Hussein gone, Russia, the last number of years, has been seeking to identify ways to be involved in the Middle East, and here's a great opportunity. It's fascinating just to speculate about. So, back to Revelation. Armies from the east, armies from the north will gather for the final battle destroy Israel. And a battle ensues that is the battle to end all battles, the most devastating battle in the history of the world, colossal loss of life. And then, here's where the good news kicks in, then Christ comes in victory. Not too early, not too late, but at the precise time of God's ordaining. Just his presence and his speak, the speaking of his word and his power, he thwarts and destroys the armies. Psalm, the psalmist, anticipating that day, in Psalm 2, 1 through 4, he, he says this, why do the nations conspire and the, and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from them. He's describing that event of Armageddon. And then the psalmist says, he who sits in the heavens, looking at that, laughs. So Jesus says, you got to be kidding. This is what you got? That's nothing. Let me show you my power. Jesus is coming to conquer in this final battle as described in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Hear these words. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name inscribed that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, wearing fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. 
From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then 2 Thessalonians, if we want a New Testament reference, and there are many. Thessalonians 2, 4. Then the person who is lawless, the Antichrist, will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth. When the Lord comes, his appearance will put an end to him. So, Christ comes. Christ defeats the world's armies. The Antichrist is destroyed. Satan is banished. The Jews, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus sets up his kingdom, his reign on the earth, a reign which Revelation tells us will be a thousand years. Now, some believe that the thousand years is figurative. Some believe that it's literal. Regardless of the number of years, however, the years themselves are going to be amazingly wonderful. So Jesus is about to set up his kingdom. Armageddon is over. The Bible says that before the kingdom is established, there is a 75 not a 72-day period, as your outline says. I want to be biblically correct. There's a 75-day period in which several things happen, namely these two. There will be the judgment of the nations. Christ will judge the nations of the world. Now, you, you might be saying to yourself, I've never heard of any of this before. Yes, you have. If you've been reading Scripture any length of time, you've read this passage over and over and over again. Listen to Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in victory, in glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats on his left. And he's going to say to those on the right, Come, those of you, receive the kingdom that has been prepared for you since the foundation of the world. Because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was naked and you clothed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was in prison and you came to see me. And they're going to say, but Lord, when did we see you hungry and give you something to eat? And when did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? And he's going to say, when you did it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Now, that's a very, very familiar passage in the New Testament we read all the time. That's the judgment of the nations that, according to Revelation, is going to happen in that 75-day period. And then there's the judgment of the Jews. This is some passages there. Jesus will give the nation of Israel an opportunity to embrace him as the Messiah. 
And most of the Jewish people will likely accept Christ and gain entrance into this kingdom. So, the new kingdom is established. Israel possesses the land that had been taken from them. Ever since Abraham, then Isaac, and Jacob, God has promised the Israeli people that the land would be theirs. And now that's come to full fruition. They repossess the land. The temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been destroyed 25 times over the centuries. This will be the last time the temple will need to be rebuilt. Christ reigns on the throne of David. Now, folks, think about this. None of this is new information. We've been affirming this plot, this plan, all our Christian life. I mean, this is basic stuff. This is affirmed, Christ reigning from the throne of David. This is affirmed in every children's nativity pageant we have ever sat in on. Listen to these words from Luke chapter 1. The Lord said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. We're not hearing all this for the first time. Now what's life in this kingdom going to be like? Well... All throughout Scripture, if we take the words of the prophets and we seek to extract their descriptions of what this millennial kingdom is going to be like, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I want to just lift up very briefly some things that I gleaned in my preparation for this morning. First of all, life in the millennial kingdom, people will live in a blessed environment. You know, we have a lot of worry and concern about our environment today. Listen to what I, how Isaiah describes the environment in the kingdom. The desert and the dry land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. They will burst into bloom and rejoice with joy and singing. Regardless of where you are politically, there won't be a need for the Environmental Protection Agency. God will take care of all of that. Secondly, in this new kingdom that God is going to establish, rain and food will be plentiful. It's going to be a farmer's paradise. No worries about crops not producing. As much fun as we had with Stop Hunger Now the other day, there won't be a need to do that anymore because all the world's people will have more than enough. 
I love this next one. Animals, according to prophecy, animals will live in harmony with one another and with humans. Now, listen to Isaiah 11, 6 and 7. The wolf shall live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together, and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze together. Their young will lie down together, and a lion will eat straw like an ox. Now just think about that for just a minute and let that sink in. Animals will be live in harmony with one another and with humans. Here, just imagine this. You go into Yellowstone National Park. You're camping out. You look over in the distance and you see these eyes lit up in the night and you realize it's a grizzly bear. What do you do in the Millennial Kingdom? You don't run. There's no need to run. You could call the thing over there. You can look him in the eye. You can pet him. He's probably going to lick your hand. If all this is true, it's amazing just to think about. Fourthly, we'll live longer. Five, physical infirmities will be removed. Prosperity will prevail. Long and short, life is going to be incredibly good in this millennial kingdom. Christ is going to establish the perfect government. I mean, think about this. In the millennial kingdom, we're not going to have to listen to a constant barrage of political ads telling us to vote for this person or that person. Christ will reign. Here's what we know about that government, it is going to be global. Daniel 7, 14 says, Rule, glory, and kingship were given to him. All peoples, nations, and languages will serve him. His rule is an everlasting one. It will never pass away. His kingship is indestructible. It's going to be centered in Jerusalem. Jesus will reign from the, on the throne of David, as we've already said. The government will be perfect and effective. It will bring a lasting global peace. Listen to Micah 4. God will judge between the nations and settle disputes of mighty nations which are far away. They will beat their swords into iron plows and their spears into pruning tools. Nation will not take up sword against nation. They will no longer learn how to make war. Bring it on. There's going to be great spiritual blessings in this kingdom. And the Holy Spirit will dwell in us. Righteousness and obedience to the Lord and faithfulness will prevail. All the world will worship Christ. And God's presence will be manifest. Christ will be with us. So you see, when we know how the story ends, there's no need to be 
scared. Be prepared. We don't know when the second coming is going to happen. If you believe the word of God and if you believe the personal testimony of Jesus himself, that day will come. And what he brings with him is something that is going to be incredibly wonderful. There's a particular political presidential candidate right now whose campaign slogan has captured many, many people. His campaign slogan is, we're going to make America great again. Yet to be determined if he'll have that opportunity or even if he has that ability. But I guarantee you, one day, Jesus Christ is going to return to this broken, chaotic, confused world. And he's going to say something like this. I've come to make the world great again. Greater than it's ever been. And if anybody can do it, he can. A moment ago I read from Revelation 19, 11 through 16. It's, it's graphic, poetic language about the return of Jesus coming from the clouds and conquering the enemy. Did you recognize any of the words? You should. Because you see, those words are the story told in one of the greatest songs that has ever been written. You may have heard it. It's called the, the Battle Hymn of the Republic. It's not about the Civil War. It is about the final battle and how Christ will come in ultimate victory and power to conquer establish his reign and his rule. 